0: Time.
1: This is the Scoop Duck, Scoop Duck Podcast.
0: Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game.
1: You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And it is intercepted! Intercepted! The, duck's out
0: of the ball. Every story. So we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys. It's going to be
1: built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner Justin Hopkins and Matt Bagley from 961 580 the game
0: Another beautiful day springtime in Oregon and uh, questions abound in Oregon Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi Matt Bagley and Justin Hopkins we're going to talk a lot of basketball on this pod kind of put a bow on what we saw in the tournament this this past month and what the expectations might be for Dana Altman and Kelly Graves going forward now that there's some turnover on their coaching staffs. But it's during spring football. We just had an open practice, the open practice of spring football. And so I got to start there. My friend, you were there. You saw it with your own eyes. And, and I saw all of the posts that you put up on Scoop Duck that day, filling people in as much as you could. What stood out to you? From what you saw what impressed you uh
2: you know I just think that the length and the, the physicality the size of this team I know it, it's something that talked about we've heard Mario Cristobal talk a lot about it uh, uh, you know in press conferences and and after games and, and things of that nature I know it's been a point of emphasis and you know Oregon's done well bringing in some some, some bigger sized guys in the past you know uh, a Noah Sewell adjusted flow, uh, you know, among others. But I think we've really kind of seen this team transform, you know, and it's easy to say that when you get out there and you look and you see, you know, half a dozen guys. Oh, man, that guy's a big guy. That guy's a big guy. But you get out there now and you got guys like Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin out there at receiver that are big guys, big and strong guys, Uh, you know, just look a little bit differently. You look at the linebacker group. And they're all big guys, you know, well sized. You see Justin flow out there a little bit, um, you know, just just all of that. I, I think jumped out to me, you know, from the get go. We can get into other stuff, but just you know, from the from the naked eye walking in, seeing the team for the first time, basically this spring, that really jumped out to me.
0: I, um, I I've always talked about this on my show when I was at Oregon Tech, my freshman year they made us take a psychology class and everybody has to take it. If you want to graduate from Oregon tech. And, and the one lesson that I remember is the idea of nature versus nurture, right? Some people are born a certain way and some people grow to be a certain way. Uh, with with the size that you mentioned of this Oregon team, do you think it's nature, just the guys that they're recruiting and, and getting to the program or do you think it's more nurture the work that's being done in the off season?
2: Uh, you know, I think this year is a, a perfect encapsulation of both. You were able to go through and do a full four full quarter program this year, which Oregon was not able to do last year. I think we saw, I think we saw that in the fall. You know, well, I get you know whatever, whenever you want to say the season happened. I think we saw that during the season that that this team lost a little bit of its advantage, of its identity, uh, not being able to go through that fourth quarter program. And, you know, then now we not only did were they able to do that this spring, you brought in uh, a number of escapes and right off the top of my head, but somewhere around a dozen to 14, uh, you know, early enrollee freshmen into the program and the best recruiting class you've ever signed. Those guys were all big. I mean, they were naturally big. A guy like Kingsley, a guy like Logan, um, you know, obviously we're talking about Sewell and Flo and, and those guys, but you're just seeing size across the board. Maliki Matabal, Terrence and the tight ends. I mean, you just, so I, I, I think it's a combination of both. I think you were able to, in the last two classes, get noticeably bigger across the board. And I think that, again, this spring, you were able to put those guys, the ones that, uh, were the early enrollees and the ones that, that uh, you know were your twenty twenty signees that didn't get the advantage of the fourth quarter program, finally get to do that. I think you see it all, and, and I mean, again, it, this certainly looks like an SEC built type of team, just from the body types and the and the sheer size, uh, top to bottom.
0: Do you think that uh, SEC schools are going to make more runs at the Duck strength coaches?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, I don't know. I mean, those guys have have a ton of money, um, you know, a lot of revenue, a lot of money. So uh, is a guy like Aaron Feld worth it? Sure. I mean, he's great at what he does. Um, you know, the Ducks have some really good guys on that staff, but I mean, he's well paid. He's well paid to be at Oregon. You know, the Ducks have made him feel uh, very welcome. And I, I think he's a guy, you know, to me, talking about Aaron Feld, he's, I think he's, you know, methodical to pick his uh, you know, career path very carefully. I don't see him just jumping at money because of money. So, uh, yeah, they certainly could make a, a run for him. But, um, I mean, let's be realistic. There's a lot of really good strength coaches out there. So, it's not like Oregon has the
0: only one in the country. Um, I want to go back to spring practices, but I, I got to acknowledge the birds in the background. Do you have a big tree in your yard? Uh
2: yeah, I don't know, half a dozen trees and then right across the road uh, is a chicken coop. So you come here to the chickens. Uh, yeah, I live, out, I live out here in the country a little bit and I I enjoy it. And yeah, I'm sitting outside because it's, I don't know, it's 75 or 80 degrees or something right now. I don't know. It's an absolutely perfect day down here. So yeah, I figured I'd sit outside. And- I know that means you guys will pick up some background noise, but uh, it's a very pleasant day, in Southern
0: Oregon. No doubt. Hey, I do the same thing every phone call. My neighbors probably think I'm a little weird that way. If it's if it's good weather outside, I take all my phone calls outdoors. Um, what, what kind of birds do you have in your yard?
2: I don't. You know, I don't know birds. I mean, you know, I know you know your standard robins and blue jays, but there's all kinds of birds. I I don't. Uh, it's. I mean, it's the dogs are out there chasing them around, and cats are out there. I mean. We get to, like I said, we're out here. There's a big field to my right. I know there's always, you know, foxes and other kinds of uh, animals running through there. we have cows and horses right over here. So, yeah, we just, it's uh, it's like a farm out here, except none of them are mine. So, I don't have
1: to take care of them. <laughs> the best part. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, two thumbs up to that. Uh, my, my grandfather raised chickens when I was a kid and uh, raised cows earlier than that. And it's it's a lot of work.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wish I I wish I had the time to do that, but I certainly don't. So I'm glad there's other people that, that, that handle that. I kind of get to enjoy just having them around.
0: Back to our favorite animal on the podcast, Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi, uh, talking duck football, spring practices. You saw an open practice this weekend with a bunch of fans at Autzen. Um I, I want to hit on some of the points that you wrote about on the site from from the gist of what you were saying, of Anthony Brown making some great throws, some awesome drives, and Jay Butterfield looking every bit like the quarterback you talked about before spring practices started, uh, is that part of the depth chart one and two set in stone?
2: Uh, you know, clearly, you know, for me, you know, I I tried not to get too far away, you know, on anything one way or the other, you know. So for me, I tried to. To have some level headed takeaways, uh, meaning that it's only two weeks in the practice. And for instance, your you know, your description. I thought Ty, Ty Thompson had a really up and down day, which is not an indictment of him as a player. It just means that particular day, two weeks into his college career, he had what looked like a very true freshman kind of day, very up and down. Um I think Jay Butterfield looked more polished, looked more patient, <laughs> you know, looked like he was able to adjust to the speed of the game a little better. And, you know, that should be expected because he's been in the program for a couple of years now and Ty Thompson's, you know, two weeks into practice. So, you know, again, can Ty Thompson surpass him? Absolutely, of course. I think over the next two weeks of, of spring ball and then, of course, when you get into fall football, I think you have a pretty good battle there. But right now, I'd say if, you know, Oregon was playing Ohio State or Fresno State or whoever in two weeks, Jay Butterfield's your number two. And again, that's just as a, a right now, you know, I know one of the other areas that folks were concerned about is or or maybe didn't like per se is the fact that, you know, Jordan Happel pretty much got the, you know, the run with the ones almost exclusively as the third safety. You know, you had Jerome McKinley, McKinley and Jamal Hill out there and Happel was the third guy almost every rep with the ones. I know a lot of fans aren't super excited about that, but again, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Damon David. David that's come in and raised a lot of eyebrows, again, only two weeks into his uh, college career. I think he can get there and pass him up, but it's just not happening yet. And, and it, and it shouldn't, really, it shouldn't. So I, I think there's a number of guys that will compete for that third job. But right now, I'm going to guess that the staff is seeing the most consistency from Jordan Apple right now. And, and that position battle will continue to be ongoing, just like I believe uh, quarterback two will continue to be ongoing
0: yeah and you mentioned the speed as well of, of some of these other players uh, Mikhail Wright getting a pick uh, some great plays in the linebacking core as well I'm curious normally at the pro level the offseason is dominated by the defense because it's it's easier for them to install there's a lot less you know groundwork a lot less language Um is is the defense beating the offense in these practices or is the offense getting the better of them?
2: Well, you know, something I wrote about the juice for the open scrimmage before we were able to see is that, you know, I'd heard uh, from sources that, you know, it's been pretty balanced. There have been days where the offense has had the number, you know, days where the defense has had the number. And I think that the coaching staff is pretty pleased with that because they don't, you know, it's really tough when you go up there and you see one side of the football really struggling you know is it because you know you're really good on one side and really bad on the other uh you know what what's going on there and I I think the staff's been pretty pleased that things have been pretty balanced on the particular day we were there on the scrimmage it looked like the offense had the better day and to me my takeaway was they had uh many more and much more of the bigger plays the explosion plays which you know you love to see from your offense. But that said, I didn't see them consistently driving the ball down the field and just kicking the defenses. But I think they had, you know, a couple big passing plays. You obviously had the big run play from CJ Verdell, uh, you know, to open up the scrimmage, the 80-yarder. And so I think they had more of those plays. But from a consistency standpoint, it wasn't like they went out there and just pummeled the defense. The defense, I think, was out of position in in some certain. Uh, plays and some other areas and that and those are things that'll get cleaned up you got a lot of young guys starting out there playing out there you're rotating guys you're trying new things you got a new defensive coordinator so to your point yeah typically the defense has the offenses number uh when you kind of start things off but i think it's been pretty fair pretty balanced um which i think speaks to the leadership and command that anthony brown has over the offense uh, but also speaks to all those returning guys on the defense that, you know, hey, you're not starting from square one, even though you've got a new defensive coordinator. So I, I, for me, I took it away as a positive
0: all the way around. OK, uh, I'm going to put a pin in that. I'll ask you some questions about that defense, a new new scheme, new coordinator coming up later on in the pod, but like I said at the very top of this, we're going to take things in a different direction. We've got Aaron Torres waiting in the wings. He does a little bit of everything for Fox Sports, but where he's crafted a niche for himself is college basketball. Year-round, he is their college basketball guru. And uh, I, I think he can shine a light on some questions that scoop duck readers and duck fans all around have been asking about the Oregon basketball programs. Kelly Graves just lost two of his best lieutenants to Sacramento State. How's he going to recover? And Dana Altman just lost Coach Stubblefield, who'd been by his side for. Almost a decade. How is he going to respond? Um, what, what's Oregon going to look like next year? There's a lot of basketball questions that I think are at the forefront right now. And I, I can't wait for Aaron Torres to answer them. All right, everybody. Back with you. Scoop, duck, and high five. Matt Bagley and Justin Hopkins joined by Aaron Torres from Fox Sports Radio. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. He's got over 27,000 followers And a lot of them follow for college basketball, which is his specialty, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod as well. And like I said, kind of a Swiss Army knife for Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Let's start with college basketball, Aaron. Um, There's been a lot of turnover at Oregon in the past month. Dana Altman losing his top lieutenant, Coach Stubblefield going to DePaul. Uh, Kelly Graves losing two of his good assistants uh, to Sacramento State. Do you think these departures will hurt the Ducks? How how are they going to recover from this?
1: Well, I can't really speak to the women's game. I mean, I'm a UConn alum, but other than UConn, I I really don't know much about the women's game. I know, obviously, what Coach Graves has done there and the incredible work that he's done. Um, But from from Oregon, from the, the men's perspective, you know what I would say is, I do think that, look, we all know Tony Stubblefield was, was as you guys said, basically Dana Altman's right-hand man, basically the guy who really was on the ground building relationships with high school players. I mean, I live in Southern California, and every time I went to any high school event, you know, pre-COVID, Stubbs was there, you know, just shaking hands, kissing babies, doing all that stuff. But, you know, a, a few things. One um, – the transfer portal is a game changer, man. And you know what Oregon has done. In, and we're gonna—I know we're going to talk a ton about the transfer portal, but what Oregon has done on the court is going to be appealing this offseason, no different than it was last year when they got LJ Figueroa and Amari Hardy and all the guys that they got. I know Aaron Estrada is supposed to come back next year. Um, and you know the other thing is it's Dana Altman, you know. And so I, I've seen a lot of these—you know—lead assistant coaches leave for other jobs, and everyone thinks it's going to be. You know, the sky is falling, but at the end of the day, you know, the 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 guy on the ground, Tony Stubblefield at Oregon or formerly at Oregon, obviously. Um, you know, there there's a Tony Stubblefield at every school, but ultimately they're choosing the school, they're choosing the head coach, they're choosing what the school can provide. And so I'll be honest, I I really don't think there's gonna be some major drop-off. Uh what I just think is more interesting is that the the Pac-12, as we saw in the NCAA tournament, maybe a little bit better than people realized. And I think there's some real programs on the rise in that conference, whether it be UCLA, um, USC, I think will be really good. Arizona is going to be interesting, things like that.
2: So, you know, Dana Altman is no stranger to the transfer portal. And and that includes both directions, you know, bringing guys in and uh, and obviously losing guys. It seems as though this year, I mean, I think, you know, with Duarte and Omar, Omar Uriah, you know, nobody's really all that surprised that they made the jump to the NBA. Are are you concerned or surprised? Maybe some of the other names that have, you know, left the Oregon program. I mean, he's, he's down, he's basically open to like seven or eight spots that he's, he's now got open on his roster. Is there any reason that you think Oregon fans should be concerned or is this just, you know, attrition's happening and and he'll he'll restock with stronger guys?
1: Yeah, it's really funny, you know, like everybody else did a way too early top 25, uh, you know, the day the season ended, and everybody freaked, you know, Oregon fans think that I hate them, which I, I don't really know where that came from, but, oh, how could you have, uh, how, why is Oregon not in your top 25, and I'm like, well, they don't really have any players right now, like, that that feels like an important <laughs> part of, you uh, you know, a ranking is actually having a team. And so, you know, the way that I kind of look at this stuff is I know there's going to be seniors who decide to take that extra year of eligibility, but especially at that time until the player actually announces that he is coming back. Because let's be honest, you know, every, every, you know, 21, 22 year old kid is different. You know, some of them are, you know, like, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but some of them just love being in college, right? There's a kid named John Fulkerson just finished his fifth year at Tennessee, decides he wants to come back for the sixth year. He loves being at Tennessee Ball. You have some kids that want to transfer up play at a higher level. You have some kids at the higher level that want to transfer down. You have some kids that just didn't have the season that they wanted and kind of want to come back and, um, you know, ha- have a better ending to the season. But, you know, when it comes to Oregon, I mean, I'm not going to speculate on who is or is not coming back. And I know LJ Figueroa officially, uh, you know, within the last, whatever, two, three days announced that he is in fact leaving. But I just bring it up to say that, um, you know, I I trust Dana Altman that he'll figure out a way to fill out this roster. I trust Dana Altman that there will be talented pieces on the roster come opening night, whether it is a transfer or reclassification, you know, combination of a bunch of those guys. But, yeah, no, I mean, I do think that it's it's hard in this particular moment to kind of project – One, who Oregon is going to be, how good they are, how they compete, just because we don't know who they are. But, you know, like I said a minute ago, I will give the benefit of the doubt to Dana Altman. As you just referenced, Justin, it's not as though this is his first time having major turnover in the offseason. But you're right. It does feel like, you know, usually by now they've they've locked in another guy or two. Um, You know, they have more high school players coming in. And I get it. It was a weird year to recruit high school players, uh, not only in basketball, but in football as well. Um, in general, I would say, yes, I do trust Dana Altman, but I do think it's fair for a Ducks fan to kind of sit around and question, like, where exactly is our team right now at this exact point?
2: Uh, you know, with that, I know you're, yeah, I guess let's let's start with this. Um, we're going to lay the foundation here. Transfer portal's nuts, man. I don't know how many names are in there. I don't know if you do, but it's tons. I mean, literally every time you turn around, there's a tweet about so-and-so's entering the transfer portal. Some good, some bad. I mean how how do you see this impacting college basketball long term? I mean is it just I mean is it NBA free agency in college basketball now or or what are we looking well, at here?
1: It's I hate the analogy to NBA free agency because every player isn't a free agent every offseason in the NBA. Your dog apparently agrees with it. He's fired up about Luke. about the transfer portal, but no, you know when want, I was. Do you
2: want a Great Dane? You can have a Great Dane if you no, want. No, no,
1: no. I, I live in a. I live in L.A., which means that I live in a, a small apartment, and so uh, you know, I, I I don't think there's enough room for the for the two of us plus my wife. But no, man, you know, listen. I, I'll be honest. I mean, I I've been pretty outspoken about this. I mean, I don't think it's good for college basketball. I don't. Uh, you know, first of all, the idea that a couple things. I'm even backtrack. Um, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think a player is evil for wanting to transfer. Okay. Like let's get that on the table right now. There are always legitimate reasons to transfer your, your coach promised you something in recruiting didn't deliver your coach gets fired. Your coach leaves for another school. Like there are always legitimate reasons to transfer. Um, what I would also say though, um, is that I don't believe that it is that harmful for a player under normal circumstances to have to sit out. I keep using this example But Davion Mitchell from Baylor, who was probably the best player in the NCAA tournament, sat out for a season. Um, And when Davion Mitchell sat out, uh, I talked to Scott Drew about it that offseason. He said, you know, him and Macy Oteague, who was another starter on the national championship team this year, he said those guys were our two best practice players. They were great teammates. They obviously got a lot of work in when the other guys were on the road traveling for games. And it certainly not only did not hurt them, but it obviously helped them in the long term. And Davion Mitchell is probably going to be a top 15 pick in the next NBA draft. And so I only bring that up to say like this narrative that that it's so unfair and it's so hurtful for players uh, to have to sit out for a year. It's just not true. That's one. And I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't you know, I feel bad for mid-major coaches who have to, um, you know, or basically know that they're going to lose their best players every offseason I feel bad. I know we're not supposed to feel bad for high major coaches that are making two, three, $4 million a year, but you now have to re-recruit every one of your players. You have other teams tampering with your players. I just don't like it. And so I didn't really think that the system was that bad. I mean, we obviously had the waiver process and I know the waiver process is annoying, but I, I don't think it's the worst thing. You know, my, my stance on this has been pretty consistent from the beginning uh, and it hasn't really changed. And that is that you know, if your coach leaves, if your coach gets fired, if your coach takes another job, you should be able to to leave without having to sit out. Um, You know, obviously, there are always going to be some extenuating circumstances, whether it be a family situation or whatever. And then I think everybody else should have to sit out if you want to transfer, assuming you're not a grad transfer. I, I I'm sorry, like, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world and so unfair. And these poor kids, like life is so hard. Like, I just don't buy that personally. You go to the football side. Kyler Murray set out for a year. Think it worked out well for him. Baker Mayfield set out for a year. Think it worked out well. You know, you can go on and on and on. Joe Joe Burrow was a grad transfer, but you can go on and on down the list. And so I don't think it's a good rule. I don't think it's going to help college basketball. I think it's even going to be worse than college football in many ways. It was interesting real quick. I know I'm going long on this one, but, you know, Nick Saban, uh, you know, the Alabama spring game was on the other day and I was watching it. And Nick Saban kind of openly talked about, he's like, look, I'll be honest, this is actually probably really good for us. Like, yeah, if we lose a guy unexpectedly to the NFL or we feel like there's a position shortage, everybody wants to play at Alabama, but I don't think that what he said was, I don't think that it's good for the rest of the sport. And so when you have somebody like Nick Saban that can kind of see the forest through the trees and see what's, what might be good for Alabama, isn't necessarily good for college football, Um, I I give him credit for speaking out on that. And so it's interesting because I have always had the opinion that I just shared with you guys. This was the first off season that I kind of accepted. You know what? Nobody cares about my opinion. I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to (laughs) talk transfers on my podcast and, you know, tweet about it and all that stuff because it's the information that people want. Doesn't mean that I like the rule. Doesn't mean I think it's the right rule, but I think we just have to accept this was the decision that was made. And, um, you know, frankly, I don't see us. I don't see anybody turning back.
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest as well, and I, I love all your points. And and you know, for me, I I, I uh I don't want to say I'm traditional and get myself you know painted into a corner there, but I do value tradition, and I, I think you know so many of the things that are the foundation of college football and college basketball are being changed at such a rapid pace. Yeah, I don't know that we weighed the long term, you know benefits and and uh you know drawbacks to all these
1: decisions let me let me jump in on that really quick we absolutely have not and it's really funny because you know i don't know what i don't know as much about what was talked about behind the scenes with football but with basketball i mean the coaches almost universally uh are opposed to it but they can't say it publicly because they're going to get crushed you know by the media by people and social media and all that stuff but it was funny because you know I, i heard bob huggins during an interview and bob huggins is you know, one of those, you know, 65 plus doesn't really care. I don't know if he's 65, but he's definitely at least 60. It doesn't really care. And, you know, he's on his last legs and he's going to, and he said, he goes, they bring me on all these committees and they don't listen to my opinion. So I just stopped volunteering <laughs> on these committees. And like, it's the truth. It is not the best for college sports. Um, And, you know, it's like you guys just referenced, and and I totally agree with you, is that, you know, we're so focused on the the short term of just, hey, let's put out this fire so that we don't have a bad PR situation on our hand, that we don't look at the totality and we don't look at the big picture. Um, You know, I'll just say something else really quick, and I promise, I know I keep cutting you guys off on your guys' show and all that, but, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday is, you know, people say that this is for the players. You know who's actually going to be hurt by this? It's the players in the future because one, you have all this transferring. I, I, you know, definitively, I'm, I'm not even, I'm. This is a fact. Graduation rates are going to go down. We all know that when you transfer, some of your uh, credits don't transfer over. Now you don't have the extra year to make them up. I mean, most people that are transferring are not going to be the guys that make you know, uh, $200 million over the course of an N- NBA career or $100 million over the course of an NFL career, they're going to need that college degree. And then I think beyond that, I think it's really hurting the high school players because, yeah. you know, the high school players coming up, you know, from the basketball perspective, I'll just tell you, like, you know, I had a mid-major coach tell me, he goes, I'm done recruiting high school players. He goes, because if, if I recruit a high school player and I play him too much and he plays well, he's going to transfer up. If I recruit a high school player and he and he, play, he doesn't play enough, he's going to transfer down. And so, I'm just going to take the transfer. Once he comes to me, he has to sit out going forward. So I'm, so he's, for lack of a better term, he's stuck with me now. Um, and we can kind of grow that way. And, and, and people would say, well, you know, it's the same number of scholarships. The players have to come from somewhere. It's not true. I mean, I, I talked to college basketball coaches. They're not filling 13. What, why are they going to fill all 13 scholarships when they know that, you know, anybody, but uh, you know, the, the, the five, six, seven guys that are playing are all going to transfer. And so, I could go on for days with this stuff, guys. I mean, I'm very clearly passionate about it. But as you guys just referenced, like there are some real big things that are happening right now. I don't think anyone realizes the long term ramifications. It's exactly like you said. We're we're doing it in the short term, and nobody realizes everything that can happen in the long term.
2: Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I I uh, one of my main points is it aligns with yours is the fact that I don't think folks realize that this is going to take scholarships away. This is going to take yep. opportunities for. Uh, and let's face it, you know, one thing that, that Mario Cristobal talks a lot about, this about football, but basketball the same thing. It's a developmental sport. I mean, there are some guys that show up and, and aren't quite there yet as basketball players and, and need a year or two, and, and and that's important. And, you know, and, and those guys, uh, let's just, you know, consider them a, a high school senior, you know, less and less of those guys are having opportunities because like you said, you know, you're going to go ahead and take the grad transfer guy. It's kind of a known quantity or even just a transfer, kind of a known quantity, and and like you said, once they've transferred once, you know, they really start to pigeonhole themselves. You know, you, you can't really do it a second, third I mean, you can, but, you know, at that point, you're starting to be in college for six or seven years and, you know, running out your clock. So, uh-huh. um, you know, agree with so many of your points there and love, and love the way that you, you know, phrased everything. Uh, as far as as far as uh, Oregon's concern, transfer portal. Any guys that jump out at you that the Ducks might be a player for? You've heard a mention about it. It seems as though Dana Altman has been very quiet on that front this year, and I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's probably uh, by his own design.
1: Yeah, Justin, I would agree with you 100%. I do think it's by design. The only name that I've really heard who I think, you know, kind of makes sense on all accounts is there's a kid named Davion Harmon who played at, uh, at Oklahoma the last few years, and when Lon Kruger decided to leave Oklahoma to retire, Um, Davion Harmon's name has been mentioned. I think it's Oregon, Texas, and Arkansas are the three teams. Obviously, with Texas, there's an obvious tie because of the Big 12. But, you know, he's a really good guard. I mean, he's a really good just kind of college player, college point guard. You know, if I could use an analogy that might not make perfect sense, but like Eugenio Mayori, right? Like, I don't know that he's going to play in the NBA, but he's just a really good college player. And Davion Harmon is – You know, not the same position, not the same skill set, but he's just a really good college player. I mean, he averaged 13 a game last year for Oklahoma. Obviously, the Big 12 is a great conference. So I'll be honest, he's the only name that that really I've heard. But I don't don't know what it is. I don't know if there's so much going on behind the scenes that it's just really hard to keep up with. But I do feel like less and less we're hearing players. I mean, it used to be, I guess, because there were more actual campus visits, but it used to be like, you know, player would announce his top five, then he'd take his visits, then he'd do whatever. And now stuff just kind of pops off day after day after day after day after day. So my hunch is, like you said, um, like you said, man, is like, I just, I do feel like there's probably some names, probably some good names, that are going to end up at Oregon. We know they're going to get players at some point. Um, but yeah, I, outside of Davion Harmon, I really haven't heard a ton of names. I'll be perfectly honest.
2: No. And that's, that's fine. Cause honestly, even in the market, you know, I mean, a lot of guys get named and mentioned and leaked, but there's no real substance. But like, Hey, you know, and it, I mean, it's, it's easy to do. I mean, let's face it right now, Oregon, uh, you know, they really need a two, They need some sort of a shooting guard, you know, somebody can, can, can bomb some threes and, and run around a little bit, maybe get to the hole, you know, they need it, they need a three, they need somebody to replace, uh, you know, kind of what Chris Duarte did, uh, you know, being able to, again, you know, maybe be able to shoot from the perimeter a little bit, um, you know, have decent enough size, you know, there's, there's some obvious needs for Oregon. And so it's really easy to look in the transfer portal and see like, oh, look at this guy, he's a small forward, this guy's a shooting guard, you know, Oregon must want to want to take him. Um, but we just haven't heard like, hey, these are the five guys that Oregon's like all in on, and uh, I think it's been frustrating because you know fans want to know, but it's sure. it's it's just not there right now. Um, and so if you're looking at this Oregon team, um, which I'm I am I imagine you've looked at it a little bit,
1: what I uh, have you know? I got yelled at for Oregon fit by Oregon fans, but I probably looked too hard. I probably looked harder than <laughs> they did, and that's why they're mad at me.
2: No, it, and that's fair. I mean, so when you look at this team. Just, you know, knowing that a lot of guys have left the program and what he's got, uh, what, what does Dana Altman mean? I mean, what what do you see from this team that he really needs to find via the transfer portal uh, or recruiting or whatever the case might be?
1: Well, let's let's do the reverse. I mean, outside of Nathan Biddle, who do we know is definitively coming back? Will Richardson's probably coming back, right? Um, you know, but I, I mean, I, I know Omiori went pro. I know LJ Figueroa went pro. Uh, I know Amari Hardy was a fifth year guy. I don't know if he's officially announced uh, any decision yet, but I mean, I think the reverse would be, it'd probably be easier to figure out what they actually do have committed for next season um, and work our way backwards from there, because uh, it just feels like they just need a ton of bodies right now. Um, so, you know, you guys can, can feel free to fill me in. I'm sure you know the roster better than I do, but um, yeah, I mean, I know obviously everyone's really excited about Nathan Biddle. And, and, and like I said, but outside of him, um, I'm just trying to put my head together of who's actually coming back next year.
0: How do you yeah, think? Yeah, you no, know, they- that
1: makes. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, sorry.
0: So- sorry, man. Sorry. How do you think they compare to the rest of the conference?
1: Well, I mean, they're kind of the opposite of UCLA right now. UCLA, in theory, could have everybody back off of a Final Four team. Um, I don't think they will obviously um I JuZang declared yesterday I think he'll probably keep his name in the draft. You know, USC they lost the the younger Mobley Evan Mobley, Isaiah Mobley's testing the draft waters, but they've actually had some success early in the transfer portal and they had a couple guys who played last year who are coming back in 2021 2022 like as sixth year guys. So USC's looking good, UCLA's looking good. Um you know, I'm you know, I'll tell you Arizona has the talent. I just don't know how much they'll be able to retain, you know, post Sean Miller, but they started workouts this week with the new coach and basically everybody shows up. They finished in fifth place in the regular season, I believe. So, you know, I think it's going to be the usual suspects. Colorado will lose a lot. Um, you know, Oregon State, you guys probably know better than I do. I mean, they have some pieces that in theory could be leaving, but you know, let's be honest. I mean, as great as their tournament run was, it wasn't like they were so dominant during the regular season. So uh, Washington's obviously a little bit of a mess right now. I will tell you, Washington State has some kind of interesting pieces as well. So, you know, what I would say is one, again, I trust Dana Altman to, to figure out a way to fill out this roster, to bring in pieces and I'm dumb. You know, I forgot they have Frank Kepnon coming back and, you know, and Folly Dante was hurt this year. So it seems like they're pretty set down low and it feels like they, they you know, they're they're going to need to focus a lot more on the backcourt and guards. But yeah, no, I, I, I trust Dana Altman to get the job done. But I would say next year, it's pretty much the usual suspects. I would probably say USC, UCLA, Arizona are probably going to be the top two, top three outside of Oregon, depending on who they get in whatever order.
2: No, that's good. Um, the PAC 12, you know, obviously made a lot of headlines, uh, going deep into the tournament, like they did, uh, putting a number of teams in there. Um, I, I know you're a West coast guy, but may, maybe not necessarily a, a PAC 12, uh, blowhard like myself and Matt are, uh, you know, we were pretty excited about it. What, you know, for you, for, for somebody that maybe does this a little more national, you know, is it a bit overblown as far as what we think, you know, that, that should, warrant respect for the PAC 12 given that run, or is it, you know, very much verified, you know, Hey, you know what, that, that was a pretty tremendous run. Uh, you know, the PAC 12 definitely, you know, raised its stock. How do you kind of see how that played played
1: out for at least the PAC 12
2: conference as a whole?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you a few things. I mean, one, you know, I know enough people in the conference where they really felt like had there been an NCA tournament two years ago. So 2020, obviously there was no NCAA tournament, they feel like they really could have made, the, you know, the, the, the conference as a whole really could have made some of the similar headlines that they had this year. Now, obviously, you know, four Sweet 16 teams, three Elite Eight teams, I, I'm, that's not, you know, what we're talking about. Um, but with that said, I do think on the flip side, um, you know, I do think on the flip side that, um, that, that basically uh, I think the, the basketball is better than people realize. So I, I think they could have had a similar run last year. Uh, and this year, I mean, it just showed just how much talent is in this conference and how good the basketball is. And look, I mean, in a way, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, I don't really have all the numbers, but, you know, there are a ton of UCLA guys in the NBA that are playing really well. Arizona has a ton of guys in the NBA that are playing really well. I mean, Oregon's obviously had their success. I was watching that Warriors, uh, Warriors-Celtics Warriors, game the other day, and Peyton Pritchard was getting his burn. So it's not as though there's not players the thing is, they've just never done it on the national stage the way that they did it this past season. And so that's what really kind of stands out to me, in my opinion, is just that I, I just feel like the talent was always there. It's just they just never really, for lack of a better term, delivered on that national stage. So I, I think there's some really good basketball played on the West Coast. You know, it's interesting. I've heard Mick Cronin talk about. You know, the idea of when he got to the conference, there was a reputation that the conference was soft. And, you know, he really, frankly, did not see that, um, you know, when, when he got to the league. And so I think that was verified during the NCAA tournament. Like I said, I think there's a lot of really talented players. People probably don't realize how good some of these teams, some of these players are, whether it's because the games are late, whether it's because, you know, nobody watches, whatever the reasons are um you know i don't think people realized it but I, I don't think you guys are wrong to think that the basketball has probably been better than people have given it credit for the last three or four years
2: oh uh, I, I i mean that's music to my ears you know <laughs> no it's it's great you know the pac 12 has taken it on the chin the last couple of years in, in football have. and basketball and it's just nice to kind of maybe see the the conference as a whole coming out of the out of the uh out of the depths or, or wherever they're at but uh you know, Aaron. I know we've taken a lot of your time more than I think we anticipated, and and we totally appreciate it. It's it, I, I love your you know refreshing view on things. I love the fact that you kind of cover things nationally, but you know can speak on the Pac-12 with enough knowledge to make sense. So uh, and Oregon for that matter. So we appreciate you having having you on, and love to have you on again. Uh, you know, maybe in the next month or two.
1: Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys having me. Um. And uh, yeah, anytime you need me, just holler. Okay. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. I,
0: I love interviews like that. I've mentioned before, one of my favorite things in this podcast is every now and then you'll bring on a guest or or sometimes we'll do the roundtable during football season when we've got Hith and QB 11. And I just get to sit back and enjoy the show because every question I want to answer or I want to ask gets brought up in the conversation I, I feel like Aaron ran the gamut with you, just went over everything.
2: Yeah, and in a great detail and with great reason. And I, I love the fact that he was, uh, you know, not afraid to put out an opinion, might not be popular opinion or whatnot, but I mean, he was, you know, proud to put it out there and stick to his guns on it and, and, and tell people why he has that opinion. So I, I really appreciated that. And, and like you said, you know, it's it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, last week we had Trajan Williams on who's smart, young individual, you know, high school recruit, right. Didn't talk a lot. Right. I mean, we were asking more questions and, and, and that's fine. That's, but you know, Aaron, uh, you know, is it vice versa of that, you know, have him on, give him a question and he, and he kind of runs with it. And it's nice. It, it you know, I know for, for some people it's nice when you can have the floor like that and not have to worry about what your next question is or what, you know, your next answer is you can just kind of talk off the cuff. And I feel like Aaron was able to do that kind of let some things go and, you know, I, I know, I, I think I speak for both you and I, it makes our jobs a little easier when you get somebody on like that, that, you know, takes you through a 20 minute segment and you only had to do about two minutes of talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I want to talk spring ball for a few more minutes and then with just what little time we have left, I want to set the scene for the draft because that's coming up in less than two weeks and I'm not sure how many people are going to listen to next week's pod before that first round. So I'd want to kind of introduce some of the big stories there. But um, back to spring ball, um, with that open practice over and now the next – kind of objective is the spring game uh, where do you see this team at like like you mentioned the hypothetical of if they were to play Ohio State you know two weeks could they hang with Ohio State right now
2: yeah I mean I you know I think that's a tall order uh any year and I you know obviously you know you, you look at a team like Ohio State didn't lose a lot of pieces um, you know, from last year, but it's Ohio State. I mean, they reload, you know, they they do what Nick Saban's able to do and, and just simply reload every year. Uh, so it's going to be a good football team. Uh, I, I think Oregon, uh, you know, and that's putting it nicely. I think Oregon has a good football team. I don't think they're there yet. I think, you know, I think our expectations for this team by some folks might be a bit out of hand. I think we need to look at, you know, what Oregon lost in the last two years, you know, some of these guys that will be in the draft that we're talking about. Um, You look at the fact that Oregon's still relatively young as a roster overall, one of the younger teams in the country. And I know a lot of folks want to point to, well, those young guys got to play last year. Yeah, they get to play six games. They didn't get a spring game. They didn't get a fourth quarter program. It's not the same. It's not the same. I mean, I love the fact that they got some experience, but it was, I mean, again, it was a, a glorified intramural season is what, what last year was in my mind. And so they did get some experience, but no, it, it just cannot equate to normal. So I just think that this spring has been very valuable for Mario Cristobal to identify where his team is weak on offense and defense, uh, where certain players are weak individually. Uh, you know, guys that might not be, you know, as strong covering or catching the ball or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. I think spring has been a ton of experimenting for Coach Cristobal and his staff. I think, you know, it's going to take a couple of weeks in the fall for us to get a better feel of where this team's at. Are they physical enough? Are there eight, nine, ten guys on the offensive line that they feel comfortable enough rotating through? I think that was a problem last year. Has this defensive line taken the next step? We know about Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, we know Noah Sewell. We know those guys, but it's going to be, hey, is, is Doorless all the way there yet? Is Christian Williams the next guy in the middle? Is it Popo Amabe? I mean, just so many questions. The rotation at linebacker, you know, you're going to have Sewell, will Flo be ready? Will he, you know, will he be off injury and will he be the guy? He's not there yet. Uh, you know, Mikel Wright's a starting corner, but is DJ James legit as the second corner? Is it Quest Bridges? Is it somebody else? You have questions and I, I don't think you're, being a nega duck by having some of these questions and concerns, you're just being realistic. And I have them too. I think this is a team right now, in my opinion, that should win the PAC 12 conference. I'm not saying they're going to blow through everybody and it's going to be 44 to zero. I think you have enough pieces that this team should win the PAC 12 conference, but being the PAC 12 conference champ and going to play for a national championship, that's not like just one more step. That's like 10 more steps in between there. So you know, I don't think that this is a national championship caliber team. I do think they can win the Pac-12. I do think if some things go their direction, if some guys play well and develop over the next, you know, four or five months, they could get there. But right now, I think there's still too many questions and a lot of work to be done.
0: I need you to teach me a word that you used in that last bit. What's a negaduck? Oh, negative. Well, you know, I mean, if you read
2: the, the message boards, anybody who says something – negative about the ducks or a duck player is a negaduck duck sometimes uh you know so yeah i mean i, I just think I, I think that gets uh mistreated i think some folks are realistic if some folks have questions much like myself um i think some folks maybe don't say it quite so eloquently on a message board and it comes across the wrong way where obviously when i'm talking you can hear my tone and right. and, and it makes a big difference but uh but, yeah, that's a negative for you. Somebody says something negative about the program, and they're, you know, oh, you're just sky is falling, chicken little. It's like, well, no, I think I think any fan right now that has some questions or concerns about this team is being realistic.
0: Okay. Um, wrapping up, I've got a couple of questions just on the draft. Because, like I said earlier, let, let's say hypothetically we tape this next pod next Wednesday. Draft is on a Thursday Thursday. I don't know how many people are going to hear it by then, and, and some of those questions might not be timely. Um, with what you're reading, where do you hope that Penne Sewell falls round one? Well,
2: I mean, it's it's pretty abundantly clear to all of us at this point that the, the quarterbacks are the priority um, that teams are trading up to prioritize quarterbacks. Um, I think this certainly appears to be a trend in football and I kind of get the feeling it'll reverse at some point because, you know, for every, you know, Justin Herbert comes in or, or, or even, you know, Joe Burrow before he gets hurt, you know, there's a lot of rookies that don't pan out. And uh, I think you're playing with fire there. If you're, you know, if you're resting your franchise and the most important position on the team, uh, you know, of a rookie Uh, you can get away with it sometimes, but not always. So, but clearly the trend is that. So, you know, with regards to Panay Sewell, it certainly appears lately here that he's gotten enough traction that a lot of folks believe he's the first non-quarterback taken off the board. Um, you know, so what does that mean? Does that have him going at four or five or six or you know, whatever the case might be? Because it certainly looks like, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and, and Justin Fields and and you know, all those guys, all those those three or four quarterbacks that are there everybody seems to think those are going to be the three or four first guys taken off the board. Um, but again, it looks like Penesol will be the first. It, it, it appears as though he could be the first. But you also look at some others, and some folks think he might be in for that that slide, you know. If, if he doesn't go, uh, you know, I think about Kevin Costner draft days, like, well, if I don't go four or five, I won't go till 15. And it's like, you know, some folks, if, if, if Penesol is not taken in that top five, you know, maybe he slides down to ten or twelve, or you know, people are talking about the Giants or the Cowboys and uh, the Chargers and all those scenarios. So, personally, I think he—I mean, I—I I, I, <laughs> I don't know what else that kid has to do to prove to you that he's a generational future Hall of Famer. I mean, he—he he is. There's there's so little doubt in my mind that at the young age that he's at and the very little football that he's played, that you're taking Panay Sewell and that guy's going to anchor the left side of your offensive line for you for about a
0: decade. Yeah, yeah, I I remember uh, you you telling me about how proud Mario Cristobal was of some guys that he had recruited when he was still at Bama. Uh, Quinn and Williams, who went, I believe, third overall a couple years back to the Jets. And uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, who still, it breaks my heart as a Raider fan, Then Oakland passes him up. He goes to the Dolphins. They trade him to Pittsburgh, and he's an all-pro safety. Um, Mario Cristobal, every time he does an interview, I hear that same brag, that same pride in Penesul. And I think if this guy, who was a good college lineman on one of the best teams ever, those 80s Hurricanes, who then became one of the premier line coaches in college football and the preeminent recruiter in college football. If this guy thinks Penne Sewell is one of the best players he's ever coached, then you gotta take Penne Sewell. He's one of the best players he ever coached.
2: Well yeah, I think you know, for me, if I was an NFL GM, you know, obviously your job uh relies on uh one of the key components is drafting well of course and that's going to be a main part of your job i guess when you look at a guy like an and we talk about this a lot with recruits <clears throat> you know that his floor is very high. i mean you're, you're looking at him it's like okay the floor is like all the way up here on Panay i know that more than likely if i draft an a i'm more than likely going to have an all pro on my team for let's just say five out of ten years i mean that's I think that's very fair to say. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about Penesol, that's the floor, and I, I, in the and in the and the ceiling is you have a guy that ends up being one of the the best ever to play the game as an offensive tackle. So if that's your margin of error, it sure sounds like he's a pretty safe pick for for a GM that might want to keep his job. So I mean, that's that's just my opinion. But again, I understand that quarterbacks are heavily valued right now. Um, there's nothing like being able to get a quarterback. Uh, And obviously paying them off their rookie contract for the first three or four years or whatever it is, um, you know, and if you're lucky enough and the guy ends up like Patrick Mahomes, of course, you're going to have to pay him at some point. But, you know, to be able to get those three or four years at at a value um, really helps your franchise with the salary cap. But, you know, having a guy like Panay Sewell that protects that asset for a decade is also very valuable as well.
0: Yeah. Um, the other duck that, that has been talked about as a potential first round guy, uh, for over a year now is Javon Holland. Uh, do you have any hopes for where he might fall? Yeah, you know,
2: he's tough, uh, just because you see, you know, guys that, that talk about him being a, uh, you know, kind of a mid round one guy, uh, maybe somewhere from, from that, you know, 15, 20, you know, to the end of the first round. Uh, You you see folks that do link him uh, basically from the beginning to the mid of the second round. So it certainly looks like he he shouldn't last past the middle of the second round. Um, And it it just feels like he's somewhere, you know, somebody destined to go towards the end of the first round. Now, I'm a big Javon Holland fan. I think he had an amazing career at Oregon and was one of the best, you know, pure cover safeties. I think that instinctually, just the way that he played the game. I think he was one of the best. I think there are concerns about his overall speed, his top speed, uh, maybe his size to a degree. And and I understand that I'm being nitpicky and I'm going to piss Oregon fans off talking about a beloved Javon Holland, who I have absolutely no problem with. But, you know, again, these are NFL GMs and coaches that are looking and have all these, you know, have all these programs that plug in size and and measure all these different things. And I think there are concerns about Javon Holland's, you know, size and speed as a safety in basically the the fastest and most violent game uh, in the world. So um, uh, there's, I I would say this, I will say this. I think there has been a trend as well in uh, the NFL to prioritize and value safeties, and corners for that matter, but safeties that can catch the football, guys that can legitimately catch the ball because we know that that takeaways and turnovers are are an incredibly valuable thing in the game of football, particularly in in the NFL. I think that Javon's Holland's staff is, uh, excuse me, stock is as high as it could ever be because of the prioritization of that skill, which he has in spades. He's very good instincts, uh, can catch the ball incredibly well, and as a turnover machine. So I, I, I think him coming out now when he has, you know, in the time period he's coming out, his value is as good as it's ever going to be. But I still think he's going to end up being uh, more than likely a a later first-round guy, if I had to guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I could see him going late round one, or I could see him going early round two. And at this point, it's it's not anything that I see on tape. I like his skills. I think he's a ball hawk, and, and I think some teams are going to really reward that. But from what I've read, um, he tends to be one of the more divisive players because some scouts are looking and, and making a lot of the same criticisms that we heard all fall of, is he going to play uh, deep safety in the NFL? Are you going to have him in the Earl Thomas role? Or is he going to play in in your nickel? And be like a, a Minka Fitzpatrick or a, um, or or like a uh, Malcolm Jenkins type player, and and I think the teams that are looking him to play in that Fitzpatrick Jenkins role are going to downgrade him. So I, I've seen some guys say he's their top safety on the board, and I've seen other draft gurus say he's not even top five in safeties
2: yeah i think i think what what uh what we start talking about there with javon holland is, is being a little bit more scheme specific you know panacea P- P- isn't scheme specific he can he can play on it in offensive line and be you know be what you expect him to be javon holland is a little bit you know you have defensive guys that want to enforcers deep in the backfield you want guys that do prioritize having a little more coverage ability in the back end and uh you know uh like i said, uh, I I think he becomes scheme-specific, much to your point. And, uh, you know, that that, that can be a huge factor in your draft stock because, you know, if you, you know, let's say you could go as high as 20. Well, if numbers 21 through 27 aren't guys that prioritize, you know, your skill sets in their defense, you're going to get passed over. I mean, even though there's value, you know, you're a value pick at that point you know, you're not a value to them just because simply you don't fit what they do. And that's not an indictment of, of Javon Holland. It's just, hey, these guys know what they need to make their defense work. Uh, and they're going to look at these other guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's a very polarizing guy to cover uh, much in the same regard as the Amador Lenore. And, and we don't have to get into that one. But I mean, you see guys that, that talk about him maybe being a third-round guy and then maybe not being, you know, maybe being a sixth-round guy. He's got a really wide range of, of, of draft values as well. So it's it's gonna be an interesting draft, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned the corners. I, I I always feel bad for these guys because you see this every year. The corners that go round one and round two have freaky measurables. You know, they're all over six feet tall. They're all built like trucks. They're fast. They're strong. The kind of guy that if Calvin Johnson or Terrell Owens or Randy Moss is lining up on the underside. The defensive coordinator feels confident this guy has the, the measurables to match up with them. And... Um and I think some really good corners in terms of fundamentals and really good corners in terms of resume. How much experience do you have? Uh, what, what are your stats? How many games did you play? What's your head like? Are you ready for the NFL? Like all those questions get pushed into round three, round four, and elsewhere. So a, a name like Lenore, he's not going to be the first guy off the board by any means. You're not going to see him on Thursday night, and you probably won't see him uh, – friday either rounds two and three but i think he could still have a good career
2: yeah i i agree with that um i like the amador lenore i thought he helped his draft stock this year i thought he had a good season um i know you know and, and Ali back it up you know aaron torres said this a few minutes ago to you and i however was talking about basketball there are guys that are really good college players that just don't quite translate to that next level. There are a ton of guys that play tremendous college basketball that just don't make it the NBA. There's a lot of guys that play tremendous college football, don't make it the NFL. And that could very much be the case of Deonna Lenore and Thomas Graham. It doesn't take away from their accomplishments at Oregon. But like you said, these GMs all have the tape. They know, you know, they know how big these guys hands are. They've you know, they've done the wonderlick test. They know how much they weigh, how high they can jump, and they know what they need. And they know what it takes to win uh, in the NFL. And, you know, if, let's say, you're a guy like Thomas Graham who might not quite get to that six-foot mark, you've got to be pretty exceptional in every other area, you know, in, in your speed, in your change of direction. You should, you're probably going to need to have a little bit uh, uh, more length than the average guy in your arms and your legs and, and, and stuff like that. You're gonna to have to be almost exceptional in every other area to make up for that deficiency alone. So again, it doesn't detract from what he was able to do in Oregon, but <clears throat> it makes your NFL draft stock a whole different ballgame. And and that's the thing for Lenore. I mean, he's you know, he he's just fast enough, but not elite speed. You know, he's he's just tall enough, but not quite, you know, that six foot one marker, whatever you're looking for. And those are things that they're going to have, those two in particular, are going to have to constantly battle. I hope they get drafted. I hope they have great careers. But um, it's certainly going to be, it's going to take some work from both of them, I think, to get on a squad and then, you know, claw your way into that one or two rotation.
0: Okay. All right. I I don't want to overkill that subject. We'll hit it a lot next week as well. Um, So I think this is a good point to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to address before we stop? Uh, no.
2: I mean, I think that I think that puts a bow on it. Really happy with having Aaron on. I know there's been a lot of basketball talk, and, and just like many of you, you start to look at what's going on with the program. And I, I think he answered a lot of those questions. Uh, I think it was great to talk about spring football, the fact that we were able to watch some spring football and go over that. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the, uh, for the upcoming NFL draft, and, and hopefully the Ducks can send someone else, another guy in the first round as well this year.
0: That's right. Okay. Uh, scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined by Justin Hopkins. We'll try to come back next week. Uh, leave us a review on whatever app you use to listen to this. And thanks for listening. Go Ducks.
2: I can do this now.